0: So glad you're here today. Today we're looking, first of all, it's just great to see all of you here gathered and those of you joining us online. Today we're looking at religious rules that get in the way, and sometimes how they change and shift. And I'm going to tell a joke today about a Baptist pastor, and it's okay. As a former Baptist pastor, I'm allowed to do that, okay? We spent a lot of money at a Baptist university. I'm okay. I got this. See, I heard about this man who was a Baptist pastor, and a, a gentleman came up to him and said, preacher, could you bury my dog? And the pastor was like, a dog? Barry, I I don't do funerals for dogs. say, sorry, I I just don't do funerals for dogs. And the man said, well, that's too bad because I was thinking of making a $5,000 donation. Pastor said, why didn't you tell me he was a Baptist dog? (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of fun we can have with church. Today we're looking at John 9 we're going to see some religious rules, religious leaders, and what happens. But we're going to, we're going to get the last verse of John 8 to kick it off, because when, when, when the Bible was written, there was no chapter and verse. And so let's, let's read it as it goes. The last verse in chapter 8, it says, They, the Pharisees, picked up stones to stone Jesus, but he hid himself, slipping away from the temple. And Jesus is walking away from an attempted murder, and that's where we find him in John 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? I mean, Jesus had just been threatened with, with, with being stoned by angry people, but it seems he's not all that ruffled. He continues to go, and his disciples are there, they feel comfortable enough to ask him this theological question. They see a man who's blind and they say, Who who sinned? Was it his parents, or was it him that he would be born this way? And the question they're asking here is something cultural. You see, in their culture, they believed if you were born with some sort of affliction, then it it meant that your parents were involved in something pretty bad. They also believed because they said, "Is, is he guilty of some sin? Now, how can you be guilty of a sin and then be born with it? Well, there was this belief that the priests and rabbis had that there were two inclinations, the evil inclination and the good inclination. And that in the womb... The baby gets to choose. That's a big choice, right? You can ruin your whole life right there. And apparently they believe that, because what if a a really good upstanding couple has a child who's afflicted from birth? Well, it can't be the parents. They're important, and they're good, and therefore it must be something else. And so they believe that this, this child had chosen evil, or his parents were involved in some dark, sinful activity. And so that way, that's the reason this man was born blind, and you can see how this, this cultural belief would have impacted this man and his self-worth. I mean, from the time he was born, from the moment that he was delivered and they saw his cloudy eyes, his parents' joy turned to, to, to some sadness, sudden maybe shame or guilt because this boy was walking around without sight. He was an advertisement to everyone about what the parents had done or a walking billboard of what he had done before he even had memory of how God wasn't pleased with him. Either way, God is mad at me, this, this man's condition would announce. And he grew up most likely without the joyous community that most of the kids enjoyed. I mean, we all know when you were growing up, there was that kid that you don't hang out with. Your mom says, no, no, you can't hang out with Johnny. Well, this family, this this boy, he, he is a... He's, He's blind from birth and so he would be that kid. And it might be his parents' fault so they're that family. Don't go hanging out with them. They've done some really bad things. So he didn't grow up in the normal community and because he couldn't, he couldn't see, he couldn't apprentice when he was a younger boy and so he would turn to the only profession that was really open to him, begging. And that's where we find him here. He would go to the busiest corner on the busiest days and he would sit himself down and he would ask for the charity of others. And here we find him. The Feast of Tabernacles is over, but it is the Sabbath. And so here he is on a corner outside the temple where Jesus has just left the temple in a hurry. And there's this man on the side of the road where he'd be begging as all these people were bustling through the streets. John tells us later, it is the Sabbath. It's the final Sabbath that the pilgrims had come to the Feast of Tabernacles for. And they wanna get one more glimpse of the temple, one more prayer until they have to pilgrim back next time. So it's a busy day, bustling streets, and there the disciples see this man and ask, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus responds in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus immediately dispels this faulty belief that somehow the parents or this boy as an infant had had something to do with his condition This man's condition was not the result of his parents or his sin. In fact, this condition, which was probably resulted in shame, a source of shame for him, Jesus declares it's going to be the groundwork for God's glory. And for some of us here today, maybe that's why you're here, to hear this little bit of good news. In the place of your shame, of what's happened in your past, God wants to grow up goodness. In the very place where the, the culture around us may tell you you're worthless because of the, some of the conditions of your life, God declares you in that spot worthy. In the awful place where you feel the most broken, Jesus wants to bring you to breakthrough. Think of all the times, I mean, this little boy, just think about his life. He, he had asked his mother, Mommy, why am I blind? And I, I hope that she shielded him, shielded him from the, the cultural shame that, it, well, you obviously did something, or we did, But if she had had God's wisdom and and maybe the situation, she would have whispered, my boy, it's because God wants to work in and through you. Even in this, even in this, God's gonna work in you and through you. And mom and dad, parents, we can use these words when our kids come to us. Why this? Why is this happening to me? Or why, why, what's this about? That we can tell our kids that God will work his goodness in them and through them even in those broken places. And may our children grow up with an eternal perspective that they can see God can use the hardest parts of their story to reveal his glory in their life. Jesus tells the disciples that the blindness was not a result of the parents, was not a result of this baby. And he continues, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. He's saying, listen, it's time to work. While I'm here, it's time to work. I have a purpose. The Father's given me some things to do. And while I'm here, we will be doing it. And I love Jesus's perspective. I mean, he's already had quite a morning, hasn't he? Any of you uh, had any attempted stonings before you came to church today? Probably, Never mind. we're in Colorado. So, uh, but hold on, sorry, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Jesus has had a very interesting morning, yet he's walking around always aware, always open, to what God would say to him and prompt him. Jesus declares himself a worker. He declares his disciples workers and follower of Jesus. If you're in here listening, you are a worker. And being a worker means, simple, that there's work to be done. Heaven's work. That God has things for us. Jesus was simply on his way. Or as it may be in our life, he was in between meetings. Yet his radar is up for what God and the Spirit would prompt him to stop, pull aside, do, say, serve. You see, he's on, the, he's on the clock, yet he's with purpose and intentionality. He's looking for the next opportunity that God would have for him. In the same way, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's work for us to do. God's gonna provide opportunities for you. Even as you leave this place, And if your radar is up to the prompt of the Spirit, you will hear him asking you to pull aside, to go speak to, to go give, to go serve, to go help those who are in need. Jesus, he goes on to say this. It says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has good works for you to fulfill. He has good works that he wants you to step into and take that risk and say that word and speak to somebody. He says in verse five, while I am in the world, I am, in the, I am the light of the world. This is Jesus in John nine. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And if you missed our, our sermon on June 13th about Jesus being the light of the world, that is your midweek assignment to go check that message out. And after saying this, Jesus spit in the ground, made some mud with his saliva, And then he puts it on the man's eyes. Now, can you imagine this scene? The streets are bustling and busy on the Sabbath. Jesus and his 12 disciples have pulled over on the side of this road to discuss this blind beggar. They brought up this question and Jesus has been talking and he, he spits in the ground, makes mud and puts it on the man's eyes. Now, how has Jesus most often healed before this? How has Jesus most often done miracles before this? With the words of his mouth. He will speak and say, storm, be calm. Or he will say, possessed, be free. Paralyzed, stand. Making mud pies isn't really something he's known for. This is, this, he's doing something different here. Now, why does Jesus make mud and put it on his eyes? Well, we're gonna find out today, a little bit later. But imagine being this blind man. Imagine it, you're there on the side of the road where you are almost every day doing what you have done almost your whole life. You hear people come up and they're discussing your sin, discussing the sin of maybe your parents and what they've done. This is nothing new. You know, you know the culture, you know the, what they, you know what you stand for. And then someone spits. Well, you've been spit on before too, but then suddenly you feel warm mud being caked onto your eyes. And then you hear these words, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this blind man from all we know and read here has no context or understanding of, of what's happening or who's talking to him. But he knows something is different. This probably doesn't, like, this isn't a normal thing. Oh, it's the mud in the eye thing. Oh, it's Tuesday. No, like, no, no. This is something a little different. Something different is afoot. And so maybe he has some sort of bloom of hope that, something's going to happen, or maybe he just really does need to wash his eyes out. But he, he goes and makes his journey to the pool of Siloam. And I would have loved to have seen the disciples' faces here. You know, you're following Jesus around. You've already seen him almost get stoned, and you've seen all the stuff he's been doing. And then we stop and talk to this blind man, or about we talk about the blind man, and then suddenly Jesus is making mud and putting on his eyes And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then we, the disciples, we just go about our day. We don't follow. We don't know anything else. We just leave. And we go about our day. Why does Jesus have him travel to the pool? Why does he use the mud? See, Jesus is up to something here. He doesn't do anything by accident. What is he doing? So the man went and the man washed and he came Home seeing. Now, can you imagine being at the pool of Siloam, surrounded by people? That's where they did the water festival thing we talked about over and over in the past month. He goes down there. First, imagine. Imagine how hard of a walk it is for this man. Jesus could have walked straight there, but for a blind man on a bustling street, he has to find his way, the 70 yards or whatever, to to, to the pool. He gets down there. He washes his eyes, and as he does, he opens them to a new reality. Can you imagine the scream of excitement, the, the declaration? I can see! He goes home seeing, and his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, because he's there every day, he's this, this is what he does. He's part of this community. They say, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claim that he was. Yeah, that's Gary. That's, that's who that is. Others say, no, no, it just looks like Gary. That's not him. But he himself said, and I love this verse, I'm the man. It's me. I was the blind guy. And then they asked, well, how then were your eyes opened? He replied, the man they called Jesus put some mud on my eyes. He told me to go to the Siloam and wash. And when I washed, then I could see. They asked, where is this man? He said, I don't know. I've only been seeing for about 15 minutes, and I never got a glimpse of him. When I washed it off, he wasn't there. And I didn't know what he looked like even before that. Like, I don't know where he is. I've literally walked home for the first time seeing. <laughs> like, give me a break. Anytime there's a, a miracle like this, they have to take him to the Pharisees and we'll see why later. They bring the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Now, the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, because it was the Sabbath, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. And washed, and now I see the Pharisees did not like this. And they said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Now they're not talking about the man born blind. Talk about Jesus. This, 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 can't, this Jesus can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You see, this is where I think we find the reason for why he made the mud in the first place. Jesus doesn't do anything by accident but something he has done the healing has upset the pharisees a great deal something about the way he healed this man made them go he can't be from god for because of what he did on the sabbath and i did some deep research into the mishnah and talmud remember the commentaries of the hebrew sages and priests and rabbis that we have been talking about they have these books of all the laws and the rules and discussions they had and let me just tell you what they say about spitting they have a law about spitting from eight 8.1. It says this, spit found in the middle of the road is clean, while spit found on the sides of the road is unclean. Now, if Jesus walking down the road had gone over to where the man was begging, where might he have been? We can only speculate. Shabbat 108 says, this is written. Listen, placing saliva on the eye on Sabbath is prohibited because it could be medicinal. That was a priestly Law of the time that you cannot put saliva in someone's eye because that could actually be medicinal. Now it was illegal to spit on the side of the road. It was religiously illegal to get saliva in the eye, and this man has saliva in his eye. But Jesus isn't done making mud. It's called melacha. Everybody say that melacha. It means kneading. Kneading. It's forbidden. On the Sabbath, and here's how they quote it: This includes any activity that combines a liquid with solid particles to to form any paste-like substance, food or non-food. So Jesus had the audacity to spit, breaking religious law. Make mud and knead it, breaking religious law. Putting saliva in the man's eyes, breaking religious law. Let's go back a little bit. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he did it. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I can see. Can you imagine? They're like, wait, what? Do you see now either he did, hold on a minute. He made mud. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He didn't keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? How can a sinner, like they're talking about Jesus. How can Jesus perform such signs? So they were divided. Now this, this is, this is so, I love this. How can a a sinner perform such signs? The key word here we should look at is the word such. That's the key word. Not just any miracle, not just any sign, but the man born blind, such a sign. Now, why would this miracle be more important than any other miracle? Why would it be different? Why would it be such a sign? You see, over the centuries of discussion in these commentaries, in the Talmud and Mishnah, the, the priests and sages began to break down miracles into different categories, Okay, And there were certain ones that through discussion, they believed, they came to the conclusion, there were certain miracles only the Messiah could perform. No one else. By God's power, a prophet could heal someone. A prophet could heal someone who had gone blind and then cause him to have his sight again. That would be God working through a prophet. But there were three miracles only the Messiah could do, and they were called messianic miracles. There were miracles that when, when, when they happen, it would be a, a, a banner that said, the Messiah is here. This is what the priests and sages and rabbis, this is, their, this is in the Bible, but this is their commentary that these three miracles would declare the Messiah is here. And guess what one of the three messianic miracles is? Healing a person born blind. Healing somebody who had lost their sight could be a prophet. But to heal somebody who was born blind, that would be the Messiah. Hmm. How can, does it, okay, now in context, how can a sinner perform such signs? Like, I know, I know he broke the Sabbath, but it's, it's making sense. It's a messianic miracle. Jesus... I love this. He has the audacity to perform a messianic miracle according to their religious rules, while breaking their religious rules. It's beautiful. Do you see why they're so trapped by their own religious mandates? Do you see why they're just so infurious? They were already wanting to stone him, and now they're like, "Well, he did a messianic miracle, but he broke the Sabbath. Now what do we do? which is why they're so angry. And you can see how they acted the coming verses as they discuss it with the man who was born blind. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say to, about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received sight until they, so they sent for the parents. Like, we don't believe you were born blind. This is a setup. You know, there's an earpiece somewhere. This is, this is, this is made up, come on. No, 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 bring in his parents. So they bring in the parents. Is this your son? Is he the one you say was born blind? Was he really? How is he, how is it he can now see? Now listen to the reply. We know he's our son. Like, yes, that's him. We know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. They're like, get me out of this conversation. And the reason is here, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who'd already decided that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. They're like, he's old enough, that's our boy, he was blind, he's not now, can we go home now? we good? (laughs) Like, He's old enough to talk for himself. Now remember the part about being put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. It says this that gets the Pharisees nowhere. So they bring the man back in. Okay, now we know he was born blind. We know he can see. Let's see what else is going on here. A second time they summon the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. I'm talking about Jesus. Like, come on, what really happened? He replied, Listen, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. What a simple statement by this man. What, a, what an amazing testimony. Say what you want about all the religious rules and, and Jesus and all that stuff. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. You see, that's, that's called a testimony. That's a church word for a God story, what God has done in your life. And we all have a God story of how God is moving or has moved in our life. Those of you who follow Jesus, you've been brought from death to life. You have a God story. And so when someone says, Well, they're debating you, they go, What about those the the tribes in the Amazon who've never heard about Jesus? Where do they go? You could say, I don't know about all that. But one thing I do know is I was lost, and now I'm found. And there are things that God's gonna take care of that I don't have the answer to. But all I know is He has given me peace with my past, (laughs) is He has healed my marriage. He's giving me purpose for my future. Your testimony is, listen, you don't have to answer all the questions. You can simply, like this man, give your God's story. All I know, I was an addict, and now I'm free. All I know, I was spiritually blind, and now I see. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, I like Gary, this blind man. I named him Gary. He has some sarcasm in him, Okay. He has some sarcasm in him. He knows the priests are furious, but listen to what he says. He goes, I've already told you and you did not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh. Then they hurled insults at him. I didn't see that coming. You are this fellow's disciple, they said. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. And listen to this. Now, that is remarkable. That's what he says. Now, isn't that interesting? You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. You called him a sinner. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Catch this. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Even this man knows about the messianic miracle. Isn't that remarkable, he says. By your own teachings, it seems that Something's going on here. No one's ever heard of a man born blind to see again. Yet I'm looking at you. It says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. No, no, you got to catch this. Steeped in sin at birth. They're, they're doubling down on the fact that he was born blind. Like you obviously chose sin in the womb and that's why you're born blind. Yeah, but now I can see. Get out of here! (laughs) They are completely discombobulated and thrown off by this miracle. Now, when it says they threw him out, it means more than just they exit him out of the building. There were three levels of excommunication in the Hebrew temple back then. The first two were temporary, kind of a spiritual timeout. Like, don't come back to the temple for 30 days and think about what you've done. But there was this third level that they, um, they threatened his parents with that happened here, and that was a complete... Ban excommunication, you are cut off from the synagogue and the people. And this would have huge social implications. People wouldn't want to be around somebody who had been excommunicated from the central cultural, of the whole, of everyone at the society. Then again, he was already blind and not really part of it anyway. So this man, he gets a lifetime ban. He's excommunicated. Then it says this in 35, Jesus heard that he had been thrown, they had thrown him out. And so Jesus went and found him. It's so interesting to me as I was thinking this through. This man has been thrown out of the temple, which is devastating socially and culturally. He's been thrown out. But, but as I thought through it, I thought of a few silver linings. First of all, he can see. So he's got that going for him. Second of all, in about six months, the person who healed him is gonna be crucified. About seven-ish months, that same Jesus is going to ascend into heaven and and start the church. So in about seven and a half months, this man who was excommunicated from the temple is going to walk into a church and immediately have a family of believers who worship the same person he does. So this lifetime ban is is devastating as it is. He doesn't know what's going to happen. It's a seven and a half month, and then he's there with the disciples worshiping and singing I'll fly away in church, Right? This man's lifetime ban from the temple is about to be replaced with a lifetime membership to the body of Christ as Jesus establishes his church in the book of Acts. Jesus heard they'd thrown him out and he went and found the man and said, do you believe in the son of man? He's using a title here that represents the Messiah. And the man said, who is he? Like, tell me who he is so I can believe. I love his faith. I love his simple faith. Like, tell me who is this man? I want to believe Jesus Oh, this is beautiful. Jesus says, you now have seen him. That's so awesome to me. This man hadn't seen anything earlier that day. And Jesus looks in the man's eyes and the man looks in Jesus' eyes and he goes, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you now. And the man looking in Jesus' eyes, recognizing the voice, knowing this is the person who put the mud on his eyes. He says, Lord, I believe and he worshiped Jesus. Kicked out of the temple, excommunicated, couldn't go worship God there in the synagogue. But catch this, at that moment, on the entire planet, there was one human correctly worshiping God. As this man bowed before Jesus and worshiped him. He was kicked out of a temple of stone, but he sat there in front of God's holy temple Jesus and worshiped. Now, what's the application to all this? How do we apply this to our lives and leave differently than when we came in this morning? There's three characters in the story today. The Pharisee, the disciples, and the man born blind. And each of us in somewhere in our lives has a part of each of them. Let's start with the Pharisees. They let religion get in the way of their relationship with God. They let religion get in the way of their relationship with people. They had laws that said, only the Messiah can do this. But they had the other laws that said, but he shouldn't act like that. And when it ha- they both happened at the same time, they couldn't see God. It wasn't a biblical law. They were working with church tradition, religious law. They missed the forest for the trees. They missed the Messiah for the mandates. Like they missed the Messiah because of the religious laws that they worshiped. And somewhere in each of our lives, we are somewhere a little bit like this. We have some sort of religious rule that keeps us from loving God or loving other people the way Jesus wants to. There's, there's people who look differently, who act differently, who sin differently than you and I. And we have religious judgments that keep us from, from loving them or serving them or giving to them or speaking to them. I just want to tell you something. Never be surprised when someone who doesn't follow Jesus acts like someone who doesn't follow Jesus. Like a sinner's gonna sin. And so the Pharisees are so shocked that all these things are happening and it gets in the religious laws get between them and the actual people. Listen, we are called to love people, all people, no asterisks. We're called to go, to go to all people and to serve them and illuminate Jesus, no asterisks. And this means we can't avoid people Who are far from Jesus because they're acting like people who are far from Jesus. Let's not use religion to insulate ourselves from those who need Him the most. It doesn't mean, it does not mean we join in or participate in their activity. Jesus actually gained a reputation, he said it himself, as a glutton and a drunkard, which means he was with people who were doing those things. He didn't live in a religious bubble. And only holy pe- with only holy people who did the right things. Now, he didn't sin. He didn't participate. But he was present with people in their brokenness. He would go towards people in their shame, toward people who were in sin, and call them to light. One author put it this way, Jesus didn't get a reputation amongst the religious as a glutton and a drunkard because of what he taught, but because he lived what he taught. He didn't join them in their sin, but he illuminated the truth and salvation while they were in it, and he called them out of it. You see, it's actually the Pharisees who insulated themselves from sinners. They had a holy bubble. They were obsessed with a sanitized spirituality to feel superior and separate. And, and Jesus talks about this in somewhere in Matthew 9-11. He says this, the Pharise- these same Pharisees are asking his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I want you to insert whoever those big sinners are in your life. Who are those people to you? For them, it's tax collectors. It might be tax collectors for you. But who would it be that if you knew Jesus was having dinner with those people? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And perhaps we can take Jesus at his word. For those of us who follow Jesus, we have salvation, spiritual health. We are called to go proclaim it to those who need it, to illuminate him to a world that needs him. And Jesus came here to call sinners. And when he left the earth, his final instructions were this, go into all the world and share the good news. The people who need good news are those living in bad news. So the the Pharisees who insulate themselves in just good news, they're not gonna move outside of that. The bottom line is, those places where we have religious traditions or judgments that keep us from loving, serving, and giving to people far from God, those are the places we need to be careful that we may be more like a Pharisee and inspect those. Don't let your religion... Get in the way of loving God and loving people. Don't let your religion get in the way of serving, giving, and helping those who need Jesus. Jesus said that love God, love people, was the the most important commandment in the Bible. And the Pharisees created 600 laws around it that actually obscured the most important law. They had laws that talked about the number of steps you could take on the Sabbath. Can you imagine if you were like five steps from home and like, oh, You couldn't knead dough. You can't take a hot... There's there's so many laws that they piled on top. These laws, they kept them from doing the most important law. Jesus' own brother, Jesus' brother James says this, "If if you really keep the royal law, the royal law of heaven found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. The royal law from the throne of heaven and here at the Orchard, we have a value that says we filter every decision through our vision, through love God, love people. Every ministry doesn't love God, doesn't love people. And this is why I'm excited. We're, gonna, we're starting a new ministry here at the Orchard, and it's something that we're going to have an event once a month. And all of this ministry does is it goes out into the community. It doesn't invite them here. We go out, and we love, and we give, and we serve. We don't preach. We don't teach. We, with our actions, we say you're loved. With our actions, we say you have worth. The, and and the, the team's coming up with all kinds of events. Like one month will be a food drive. It could be a, a, a pet adoption where we cover all the, uh, the fees. Cleaning up park. There, there's unlimited ideas for us to go out into our surrounding communities and simply show love, show serving. And let our actions speak for themselves. So be looking out for that. And in your own life, you can be a part of this every day as you leave here and see somebody in need or, or somebody something that needs to needs encouragement or service or giving, have your radar on. Somewhere else in your life, you're like the disciples. You and I. Somewhere else in our life, you and I are like the disciples. We're not standing in judgment like the Pharisees, but we're sitting in indifference. If you'll notice, these disciples, they're walking together as they're 12. They're they're following Jesus. Many of us are following Jesus. But they have their little group. They have their small group, their little bubble. You know, they have their Bible study, their their growth group, their prayer group. They eat at Chick-fil-A. They do the right things, right? They listen to K-Love. They're, you know, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Nothing at all. But they come across a person in need, and they go, they ask a theological, philosophical question. Who sinned, this man or his, his parents? Like, they're talking about sinners. They're talking about people who need Jesus. What they should have said is, Jesus, what would you have us do for this man? Jesus, wh- what could you do for him? Jesus, can we, can we do something for him? You see, we can't get stuck in our Christian bubbles, insulated, and talk about those people that need Jesus. At some point, Orchard, we have to go serve and love and give and speak to people who need Jesus. Somewhere in each of us, we have a little bit of a disciple. We're okay with our faith in here, but not at our work site. We're okay with our faith in here, and and we'll do the double-handed shake. Hey, brother, hey, sister. we get out there. It's different. Somewhere we're each like the disciples here. Not in religious judgment, but just in indifference, insulated. It's time to step out. It's time to step to the side of the road and say, Jesus, what would you have me do? As you see somebody in need, you ask the question, Jesus, what would you have me do? You see somebody who's just broken and you can speak life. Jesus, what would you have me say? Be asking these questions. Engage the world around us. And finally, at some point, we all are the man born blind. Some of you in here spiritually may have not yet come to Jesus, to salvation. But for for many of you, at some point in your history, recent or far past, you came and said, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. And he brought you from spiritual blindness to spiritual light. He brought you from death to life. And one of the things that just bothers me the most is when someone says, I don't have a good testimony. Like I never lived under a bridge for a month or whatever it would be, you know? Like I I, I never did all those bad things. (laughs) If you receive Jesus as your savior, you've been brought from death to life. Your testimony is that he has redeemed your past, given you peace in the present, and given you hope for the future, hope for eternity. And like the man born blind, we have a, a privilege and an obligation to go out to the world and say, all I know is I once was lost, but now I see. There was somebody in your circles who needs to hear from you your God's story. And you might think it's not exciting. No one wants to hear from little old me, but your testimony, your story of how God has re- redeemed you from your pastor, your vices or your anger or saved your marriage or given you peace through 2020, whatever it would be that God's done in your life, you speak that to those people that know you or that God prompts you to speak to. Go forth and like this blind man, may your simple testimony point people to Jesus because in the end, the, the reality is, is that it all comes back to the cross of Jesus. His his shed blood, his broken body is the reason we have a story. There's no God's story. There's no Jesus story about salvation without Jesus's work on the cross. And someday we're gonna meet Gary in heaven. Yeah, because of the blood and body of Jesus. If you're here today and you have not received Jesus, you've never had taken that moment to step out and pray to receive Jesus, um, we have a prayer team in the back that would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you have significant prayer and you want them to pray for something in your life, please go back there. And for the rest of us, before we go into worship, I want you to just take a moment, go into communion, thank Jesus for his blood and his body. And then orchard, I want us to stand and worship like we have not worshiped before. Think of the blind man when he says he, he worshiped. Do you think that was kind of half-hearted? Waymaker, spiritual worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. He couldn't see, and now he does. And if we knew spiritually what Jesus had done for us, we would be worshiping in a whole new way. So today, drop the Pharisee who cares how they sound or look while worshiping, and let's worship like this man who was blind and can now see.